It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 54 of Sports Day Plus. At 6.30, I am replaying my two-segment conversation with legendary stand-up comedian Brian Regan, head of his show at ACL Live on Sunday night. At 6.15, I'm getting you DGENs ready for the conference championship games with Sammy P. And in mere seconds, you're taking an initial look at Sunday's NFL games, both Chiefs-Ravens and Lions-49ers. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. The conference championship games get going this Sunday, starting on the East Coast and then gradually working our way west. Beginning with, dare we call them the upstart Kansas City Chiefs traveling to Baltimore to take on a Ravens team that you would have to say at this point is the number one seed if we are ranking the four remaining teams in the NFL playoffs. Upstart Chiefs, yeah, it's rare you say that with a Pat Mahomes-led team. This is their sixth straight AFC championship game after all. But then again, this is a Chiefs team that looked suspect and ripe for an early exit in the playoffs or earlier than what we've come to expect over the last half decade now based on how they played throughout the course of the 2023 regular season. But as the playoffs arrived, and let's be honest, at least in that first round matchup, a really ideal pairing with a reeling Dolphins team at Arrowhead. The Dolphins, of course, play in hot and humid Miami having to travel to KC to take on the Chiefs in sub-zero temperatures on that first Saturday night in the wild card rounds. But the Chiefs continue to do what we've all come to expect the week after that against the Buffalo Bills. Felt like the Bills were playing their best football at the right time, but in the end, that Chiefs magic was able to prevail once again. And now we have what is a really good matchup on paper between the Chiefs and Ravens. Chiefs are the Chiefs. Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Isaiah Pacheco running seriously ticked off. And then a group of receivers who has actually gotten its act together in January. Whereas drops were a big problem throughout the course of the season. I think this is a receiving core that may have one drop through the last two games. So they're playing some of their best ball to go along with what is likely the best Chiefs defense in the Pat Mahomes era. But they're up against a Ravens team that not only finished with the best record in the NFL this year, they played their best against the best competition. It's a big reason why Lamar Jackson, or perhaps I should say a big reason why, is Lamar Jackson. Who is your odds-on favorite for the league MVP right now? To go along with the fact that this Ravens defense, yeah, they are like a Ravens defense of old. Number one scoring defense in the league. Number one with takeaways, too, which is a lethal combination for anybody trying to beat the Baltimore Ravens. And they faced a lot of good competition this year. 
faced as many teams with winning records as I think anybody in the NFL this season. And they were really good in those games. Again, playing their best ball against those teams. The most recent example of that from the regular season was the beatdown they put on the 49ers in San Francisco. One of the last weeks of the regular season. Remember a game that San Francisco was favored in, the Baltimore's like, nope, we feel slighted right now. The 49ers, they had their full complement of players that game. They didn't have that excuse to lean on. Like the uneven performance last week with Debo Samuel going out with that shoulder injury. And the Ravens just smacked them around. A late 49ers touchdown made that game look less ugly than it was, and the final score didn't look all that pretty for San Francisco's sake. Now, the Ravens are favorites, according to Vegas, four-point favorites, and that has moved up a point since the initial line came out earlier this week. So Baltimore doesn't have that embrace-the-hate mentality to lean on with this one. What they do have is an underrated home environment to get to play this game in. In front of fans who have helped Baltimore win as many home games as just about anybody over the last five-plus years. We've been hearing all week about just how good Pat Mahomes is as an underdog since taking over the starter in Kansas City. 9-1-1 against the spread. 8-3 overall. That's right. In the 11 games that Vegas thought the Chiefs would lose, they have won. 8 of 11. Incredible. And this is just his second road playoff game. The first came last weekend. Again, hostile conditions against a Bills team that had been playing pretty darn well. Now, unlike this Bills team, the Ravens are pretty healthy on defense. They aren't playing next man up seemingly with half of their defense. And so this is the Chiefs' greatest challenge of these playoffs far and away. And ultimately, I do think that the Ravens come out victorious. I'm not even necessarily rooting for anybody in this game. I just want to see a good, hard-fought ball game. But in the end, I think Baltimore has too much to where we see them winning this one by somewhere in the 7-10 to point range. But if it's 7 points, Pat Mahomes has the ball. With a couple minutes left, we all know what to expect. He gets that look in his eyes, and you're like, oh, this is about to happen. It's that mindset that you watch on TV where you just are left wondering, is Baltimore going to have time to try and answer before regulation is over with? That's a 2 o'clock kickoff on CBS. The 5.30 kickoff on Fox is the Lions at the 49ers. Debo Samuel, supposed to be a game-time decision with that shoulder injury. And the Lions are now 7.5-point favorites, according to Vegas. That is a number that's gone up by half a point. And I get it. San Francisco, just like the Ravens, have been an odds-on favorite to make the Super Bowl for much of the season. But I think this is a team that showed some deficiencies this last week. I don't consider that to be a wake-up game for the team as much as I do a wake-up game for everybody else watching what is going on. Specifically, Brock Purdy. And the more difficult the competition becomes, the more likely we are to see his flaws hurt this ball club. We already know that this team, minus one of their key guys, their overall production and ability to win goes down significantly. To be without Debo Samuel would be a huge loss for Brock Purdy. 
Because if you're going to get the Lions, you're going to have to do it through the air. Brock Purdy was too inconsistent last week. And if he's without Debo Samuel, it hurts his overall cause. What I'm predicting we see happen is Detroit getting up early in this game and San Francisco being forced to throw the ball entirely too much after that. Whereas they do want to try and lean on Christian McCaffrey a little bit more, even though Detroit has been pretty good against the run this season. I like what Detroit's offense brings to the table. I know San Francisco has also been good against the run. Both of these teams suspect against the pass throughout the course of the season. Detroit is really clicking on all cylinders with that passing attack. Jared Goff, obviously, making a name for himself over the last couple of seasons. But to do what he has done in Detroit through this year is special. And he's got great receivers around him, too. Amon Ross St. Brown. Josh Reynolds is flashed. Jamison Williams really come on in these playoffs. Sam Laporta, who is the future of the tight end position at the NFL level. As you hear my dogs barking in the background. My dogs apparently agree or disagree with me. I guess I'm going to find out when we get to this commercial break. But ultimately, I do have Detroit winning this game by, yes, 10 points. I think 31-21 is the final score. San Francisco is having to throw entirely too much in the second half. And Brock Purdy, while he may eventually get there, still a little bit too raw in terms of thinking him as a seasoned professional in the postseason. I get it. He locked in when he had to against the Packers last week to lead a go-ahead touchdown drive that turned out to be the game winner. But I do think San Francisco falls short here, and we see the Ravens and Lions in the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. All right, coming up, it is my buddy Sammy P continuing the conversation on this weekend's NFL playoff games for you DGens. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It is a Friday, and it is football season, which means that I'm going to spend some time with my friend Sam Paniotovich, a.k.a. Sammy P. He is the lead sports handicapper at Nesson in Boston, a contributor to FoxSports.com, host of the Chicken Dinner Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at SPShoot. Sam, thank you as always for the time. How are we doing this Friday? We're doing good, Trey. This is probably my least favorite time of the year. Uh, I say that because the edges are mostly gone. The schedules have shrunk. I mean, we go from 15, 16 NFL games and 50, 60 college games down to just two games. And these are the games that everybody wants to bet a lot of money on. And the reality is, as we talked about before we started, I mean, these games could both go either way. And when I put my picks in this week, I I did what I had to do. I'm on both favorites. I don't necessarily love that because I'm a, I'm a dog player and I've been a dog player for about a decade. I just have to trust my numbers and, and try and not overreact to the, uh, the silliness of the last couple of rounds. Well, Sam, and the reality too is this year, both favorites have been that way all year long. They have both Past most of the tests that have been presented to them this year, including against good competition. One exception for San Francisco was when they got beat by Baltimore in the Bay Area in one of the last weeks of the regular season, too. So I think that uh, you you supporting the uh, the favorites here uh, makes a lot of sense. So let's start with the early game. It's going to be Chiefs at Ravens. It is a 2 p.m. kickoff Central Time. You like, uh, amongst other things... 
And we're going to start with this here. Ravens, first half, two, uh, minus two and a half. Why? I just don't want to lay four. I mean, this market on Monday and Tuesday was Ravens three. And I know a lot of sharp guys in Vegas that laid three, laid some three and a half, and now we're at four. And, and as I sort of alluded to, these are the tightest lines of the season. You know, these are going to get good two-way action. You're going to see people uh, lay three and a half, four. And then, of course, you're going to see that commitment to taking Mahomes probably as we get closer to Saturday and Sunday. I mean, there are going to be several people that, that think it's this simple Mahomes getting points. And look, it's hard for me to make fun of that because the chiefs as a dog, since Mahomes took over in 11 games are nine, one and one against the number. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's staggering. It's not the biggest sample size, but it's still nine, one and one. What I want to do, though, is, is just cut the game in half because the, re, the reality is for Kansas City, they are now facing not just a great defense, an elite defense. And Miami was just decimated by injuries. Buffalo had three starters down in the secondary. The Ravens are healthy. The Ravens are at home. And the crowd is going to play into this. And the Ravens led the league in sacks. So just from a personnel standpoint, Baltimore can take away a lot of what Kansas City can do. Yeah, not only are the Chiefs 9-1-1 as underdogs and covering that spread, they're 8-3 and overall in the Pat Mahomes era. That is just crazy to think about. But I do think that the Ravens will have enough to win this game when it's all said and done. There is something you like on the KC side of things, bets-wise, and that would be a Kelsey touchdown at plus 115. Why? Last 12 playoff games, he's caught a touchdown in 10 of them. He's just a weapon in this postseason. And I look, a lot of the Kelsey stuff gets overblown because of, you know, the lack of power numbers this year. He didn't have a great year in terms of like comparing it to years past and the the distractions and the commercials and the Taylor Swift and all that. I understand it. The thing is, though, Trey, when people lose the appetite to bet a player, the price comes down on his stuff. And I don't want to mess with receptions or yards or anything like that. I just want to look at the touchdown market, which, by the way, last year in the playoffs, Travis Kelsey to catch a touchdown is minus 140, minus 150. So you lay that to win 100. In the Super Bowl, he's like minus 170 against the Eagles. And he caught one in that game, by the way. You can get Kelsey at plus money, plus 115, plus 120. And I do think there's a world where Patrick Mahomes, inside the 10-yard line, inside the 5-yard line, is going to get the ball to 87. And Andy Reid does a really good job of this. If they're going to double him, they'll put Kelsey in the backfield like a fullback, and they'll do that shovel pass. He's going to get at least, I think, three targets inside the red zone, inside the five-yard line for that matter. So if that's the case, go up and get it, big fella. As I said, 10 of the last 12 playoff games, he's had a touchdown. And in three of those 10 games, he caught two. I did look at him to catch two at like 9-1, to one, but – Let me just go with Kelsey to score at any point in this game at plus money. He is old faithful. He is, he is the modern day Gronk where, you know, he's going to get a touch inside the painted area. And I think that's good enough at plus plus one fifteen, plus one twenty. The late game at five 30 central is the 49ers hosting. That's right. The fighting Dan Campbell's yes. The compassionate meathead has his team in the NFC championship game. Even those who were buying on the Lions this year, I don't think they realized that uh, Detroit had a chance to make it this far. Uh, you do like the Niners as touchdown favorites right now. Why do you think they win by a touchdown plus? 
To say that I'm not nervous would be a lie. And I was on your show last week. We, we went one and two last week because San Francisco didn't cover nine and a half. And I did early in the week have a little hesitation to lay seven when San Francisco almost lost last week outright laying nine and a half. But I just, look, man. In, in, fa- in fairness, so real better. quick to, you, to, to the bet that you made last week, had you known Debo Samuel was going to go out two to three plays into the game, that would have changed your thinking on that, I'm assuming. Oh yeah, but I mean that's gambling. I mean that's yeah. why that's why they call it gambling. You're you can make a bet, feel good about a bet, and I felt great about San Francisco nine nine and a half last week, and then in the first quarter I'm like, yep, this one's dead. <laughs> but that's gambling. Um, you know, it's okay to be uncomfortable with a wager too. I mean, it, in terms of like uh, like you don't love the bet, but you have to make it. I'm not saying it's okay to bet money you don't have. I'm saying it's okay to make a bet, San Fran minus seven, and go. I don't really love this, but I got to do it. They have been my highest power-rated team in the NFC all season. And, look, they got sort of shell-shocked last week in the first quarter. I mean, any, any team losing a star player early in any game is going to sort of affect things. And, and I, I will look. I'll, I'll give Green Bay a lot of credit. They were playing outstanding offensively the last seven, eight weeks. I mean, they were a juggernaut. They put up some metrics that, that Green Bay hasn't put up in a long time, and that's including Aaron Rodgers in the postseason. But the Niners are so much better, Trey, than the Rams and the Bucks. And I, I don't want a transitive property your ass right now, but <laughs> the Lions were at home against a six seed and a, and a four seed from an awful division. Now you got to go to San Francisco, the best team clearly in the NFC. I think you're going to get points, though. I mean, Detroit's going to score. The total tells us that at 51 and a half, 52. Detroit's going to get a couple touchdowns, if not more. I know you like Detroit in the game. I understand it, but to me, Jared Goff needs to be almost, not perfect, but he has to be well above average to win this game. And, and my big fear, as I've told you all season long, is Dan Campbell doing something stupid. Huh. I mean, he, he failed to run the clock out last week. Yep. Unfortunately, Baker Mayfield just threw a pick in the middle of the field, and, and they got away with it. If he wants to riverboat this thing and, and go for it from his own 30 or – or try the wide receiver pass that gets picked off. I just, I don't think this is the time to get cute, but my fear for anybody backing Detroit is that you have a good team getting a big number against a great team. And I I think if San Francisco brings its a game, this is 31, 20, 31, 17. If San Francisco plays a C minus game like last week, they could lose. I mean, Detroit could win. Of course. Dan Campbell hits on 21 all day at the table. He's gonna, they're going to win. But I think if this is played 100 times, the Niners cover like 60% of them. So I laid seven. Again, <laughs> as you can tell, I don't really love it. But, but I felt from a numerical standpoint, I, I had to do it. Why do you like Brock Purdy going over 274.5 passing yards? That number's starting to run too, man. And this is a lesson for anybody going forward. When you like star players, you got to bet them earlier in the week. Uh, as we do this now on a Friday, that number for Purdy is as high as 279 and a half uh, because the best players get bet up. I mean, let, let's look at Mahomes, too, just for comparison purposes. Mahomes' number on Monday and Tuesday for passing yards was in the range of like 231, 232, and now it's 240 and a half. And by Sunday, it might be 243, 245. So what you want to do, and I – I put the Purdy play out the other day on social, on chicken dinner, on Twitter. 
If you're going to play quarterback passing props, you've got to play the overs early. And if you like the under, honestly, you could wait. I mean, you could get this Purdy number. So I got, what did I get, 274.5? If I really wanted to, right before kickoff, I could probably go under like 284.5. And then I could have a 10-point middle. The Mike Evans number last week got blasted on Saturday and Sunday. The star players, as you can imagine, get bet up. And, and that's going to happen to your quarterbacks and your star receivers. But to answer your initial question, I, I do think Debo is going to play. I, I'm more optimistic than pessimistic. And, and the, the Lions secondary, I mean, we watched it last week. Mike Evans had a million yards. You know, the, their secondary is not good. They get a good pass rush. They can stop the run. But I do think Purdy, if he gets the protection, he's going to throw, you know, 65 70% accuracy. 290, 230, or 290, 295 yards. Just, I don't know that that's going to be good enough, but I, I do think they're a passing team this week, and, and Shanahan is smart enough to throw against a weak Detroit secondary. And you also have Baltimore and San Francisco lumped together. The money line bet for both of those teams at minus 108. We are out of time in this segment. He is Sam Paniotovich, a.k.a. Sammy P., lead handicapper at Nesson in Boston, contributor to FoxSports.com, host of the Chicken Dinner Podcast. You can find him on Twitter at SP Shoot, and you hear him on these airwaves every Friday during football season. Not sure what we're going to do next week, Sam. I may want to try and have you on, just talk about some initial Super Bowl bets, but we'll certainly get you on the Friday before the Super Bowl as well. It's been a pleasure all season long, my friend. Hey, you too, man. Thanks for doing this, and good luck, everybody. Make some money. Coming up, it's a replay of my two-segment conversation with legendary stand-up comedian Brian Regan ahead of his headlining show at ACL Live at the Moody Theater this Sunday. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Ryan Regan is a legendary stand-up comedian who over the course of decades, going all the way back to the 1980s, has proven to be a perfect blend of sophisticated writing and physicality. You can currently see him a couple of different places. One, as a co-star in the TV series Louder Milk, starring Ron Livingston, The show is receiving a sort of second life on Netflix. On the stand-up side, Brian is currently in the midst of a national tour that is making some stops in Texas this week. That includes a final Texas stop here in Austin this Sunday at ACL Live at the Moody Theater. Doors open at 6. Show starts at 7. You can go to ACLLive.com for more info and to snag tickets. Brian, thank you so much for the time. How you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I am good, and I have to tell you that I am pretty impressed with what you are putting yourself through right now. You are doing six Texas cities in six days, starting in El Paso. You're in Lubbock right now as we speak on Wednesday just before noon. You're heading to Irving, Houston, and then Austin here on Sunday night at ACL Live at the Moody Theater. My goodness, man, you are getting a great taste of what this state has to offer culture-wise. Yes, and the uh, I'm getting I'm doing Southwest Texas, Northeast Texas. I'm doing the whole Texas thing, and uh, <clears throat> the El Paso show last night was uh, was fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of the week. So you're in Lubbock right now. Is anything standing out to you about Lubbock, Texas? I know you're on a tour bus right now, but have you uh, ducked your head out to see what Lubbock has to offer the people? I wish I was adventurous enough to uh, say, well. 
Yeah, I got up at five in the morning. I, I did my usual, uh, you know, one hour run. And then I went and checked out all the sites of Lubbock. I have nothing to offer. I, I can only tell you what I can see out the window here. And I see like a big propane tank and a dumpster. I'm not suggesting that Lubbock doesn't have more to offer. I'm just saying that that's all I can see from my perspective. I went to school at Texas Tech for a year and a half. Lubbock doesn't have much more to offer than that. Just be glad that the wind is not blowing from east to west because at that point you start to smell the slaughterhouses on the outskirts of town. <laughs> well, uh, I'll consider myself fortunate for the, for the moment. There you go. Uh, in uh, doing some prep for this interview, I, I listened to a couple of other interviews that you've done over time, and that included the conversation you had with Neil Brennan last year. Great conversation, by the way. A uh, big fan of Neil uh, but during that conversation, you had talked about constantly making the effort to redefine yourself, to not uh, become stagnant with how you are going about uh, putting together an hour for your stand-up comedy, which you've been so good at for so long now. Is there a general theme or general idea that is behind the current hour that you're rolling out for the people here in Texas and beyond? I don't know about a, a general theme. I think that's one thing that I've always liked about stand-up comedy is that you don't have to ha- have a theme to it. Like you can put together a bunch of different thoughts and ideas and string them all together and call them a comedy show. And uh, that's one thing I love about it. I mean, I, I, I've got jokes about guns that I'm putting in, which might surprise people. I've, I've got jokes about m- mundane stuff too, you know, uh, Barbie dolls and how kids walk them. And, uh, you know, I talk about a wide variety of things and then I just try to string it together and hopefully people uh, come away enjoying it. I think that's something that people may not realize who just know you knows you as this guy who's really funny, who doesn't cuss. It's not like you're not touching on taboo topics at times. You're just not using blue language in the process. It doesn't mean that you're not taking chances and you're not going places that may cause somebody who doesn't know any better or somebody who quite frankly probably doesn't belong at a comedy show uh, to gasp in horror that you're uh, saying something like that out loud into a microphone. I very much appreciate you saying that because um, one of the challenges of doing comedy the way I like to do it is that if, if people hear I know you didn't use the word clean, but a lot of times people use the word clean to define what I do. And if somebody just hears that word but doesn't know or watch what I do, they can have the wrong connotation of, 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 of what it is that I'm doing. I'm not doing a kiddie show. I'm not on stage, you know, twisting balloon animals. For You know, you, you could bring a teenage kid, but, but it's um, I like to think that it's more interesting than other people might think it is because of the word clean. Yeah, I agree with that. Like I've got a nine and seven year old at home right now and I'm considering because they know how big of a fan of stand up I am and how, how big of a nerd I am just to get to talk to, uh, to uh, all different types of comedians. It's like, what would be the right time and the right type of comedian to try and introduce them to the art form? They're still uh, clearly way too young for just about any comic Maybe Gallagher. Gallagher might work. Some of his stuff from the 1980s or early 90s. But in terms of like the type of stand-up comedy that I enjoy, uh, 
gotta be at least teenagers, but even then, like the the stuff that I'm I'm watching and listening to and laughing at, uh, there's a certain uh, worldly awareness that comes into play and also an experience in this world that makes a lot of uh, what you and plenty of others talk about uh, something that's worth laughing at for the audience. Yeah, I agree. I, um, I'm, I, I like the fact that people out there can feel like they can bring their kids um I'm not going to say anything that you're going to have to cover your kids' ears. You know, like, I'm not going to go, oh, my gosh, I shouldn't have brought, you know, our our nine-year-old to the show. But at the same time, the nine-year-old is probably not going to be getting into a lot of what I'm talking about just because of what you're talking about. You know, it's like you have to have lived some life to, to understand what certain comedy jokes are about. Um... I mean, I like to do some stuff that kids would enjoy, but I also am trying to do stuff that, you know, 60, 70-year-old people can enjoy too. Yeah, it's got a uh, wide array of appeal, I would say. And in, One of my uh, favorite moments, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I, I did a show one time and a family came backstage after the show, uh, at, including their grandmother. She was like in her... 80s maybe and they had like grandkids there was the whole gamut and uh, they were all being very nice we were taking pictures and the grandmother said to me so how long have you been in vaudeville (laughs) i'm like wow vaudeville (laughs) i i guess since 1910 i i don't know how to answer that question (laughs) but uh (laughs) and her, her 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 Kids were going, Grandma, it's not vaudeville. He's not doing vaudeville. <laughs> well, I guess that uh, that means that you're you're not going to be able to tell her about uh, doing stand-up in whorehouses back in the late 1800s then either, huh? <laughs> you're right. Right. She had the wrong, she had the wrong uh, notion. So uh, one other thing that you talked about with Neil Brennan that I'm in complete agreement with you on is... Uh, having a sort of line anxiety. And you talk about the need for lines to be clearly marked and fair. I just have a general abhorrence to lines, Brian, because I just, I don't know how much is actually worth standing in a long line for. Like, people love standing in lines here in Austin for really good barbecue. Well, I, look, I get that. I've, been, I've eaten at a lot of those places. The barbecue is really good, but there's places here in town where the barbecue is just as good that doesn't require you to wait in a line. Now, you take it as far as saying that there's like a basic courtesy or a lack of etiquette that comes into play with people when it comes to lines or somebody just walking up on, let's say, a counter at an airline or something where there's a line of people and it's like, hey, I just need help with this really quickly. It's like, actually, all of us just need help uh, pretty quickly. What do you think it'll take for society to return to a sort of etiquette and courtesy that seems to have just completely vanished over the last 15 to 20 years? I I, I don't know. I, I, I would hope that, you know, uh, that human behavior can have a pendulum aspect to it, you know, like maybe it can get so uh, unfair and out of control that people as a whole start going, hey, why don't we be nicer and kinder again? Um I remember years ago, Carol Burnett and gosh darn it, I'm, gonna, I'm blanking on the other actor's name. They went on a uh, 
talk show circuit, trying to get people to be nicer. <laughs> it was a short-lived thing. Um, who's the guy in Midnight Run? The uh, Not Robert De Niro, but the... Uh, oh, uh, uh, Charles Grodin? Charles Grodin. Yeah. It was Charles Grodin and Carol Burnett did a talk show circuit. Like, they would go on The Tonight Show and different shows, and their whole message was that people are getting out of line and they should start to be nicer and kinder to each other. And I remember thinking, this is a an interesting, like, uh, tour that they're on. You know, like, they weren't plugging anything. They weren't plugging a movie. They weren't doing anything other than trying to get people to be nice. And I remember thinking, this is pretty cool that they're trying to take this on. I don't know how successful they were. Um, but the effort was, was to be commended. And... I personally think that etiquette needs a resurgence. People kind of stop considering etiquette in this world because for a while it was like people thought it had to do with like plates and, you know, what fork do you use and what cup do you use and that sort of thing. And people go, this is ridiculous. Who cares about this stuff? Well, it's not so much that it's how we are with each other. That's important. And I think, especially with technology and phones and all of this stuff, I really think that there's a place for people to be a lot more interested and concerned about etiquette and how we are are with each other and how we care about each other and 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 how we love each other. And um, you know, I, I I just I I'm hoping that the pendulum gets if it gets so bad that people will want to improve how they are. He is stand-up comedian Brian Regan performing at ACL Live at the Moody Theater this Sunday at 7. Go to ACLLive.com to snag those tickets. Coming up, one more segment with Brian on the other side. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Final segment with legendary stand-up comedian Brian Regan performing at ACL Live at the Moody Theater this Sunday. A few tickets do remain. To grab those or for more information, go to ACLLive.com. Brian, I'm watching your second appearance on Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with Jerry Seinfeld. At the end of that episode, you said something that I think is so profound. You were talking about... Uh, getting butterflies in your stomach and how butterflies are important. It shows that you are feeling something. It shows that you care. I think you called butterflies memory makers. I thought that was so poetic how you put that. I'm curious, though, outside of stand-up comedy, I guess assuming that you do still get uh, butterflies and you perform stand-up comedy, what else gives you butterflies right now in your life, Brian? Uh, Wow. Um, I... I have some other projects that uh, I'm working on that are not stand-up comedy oriented, you know, like new things for me. Um, I'm in a TV series called Louder Milk, which is getting new life. It just got moved to Netflix, and it's one of the top-rated TV shows on Netflix. Uh, Peter Fairley is a co-creator. The show gave me an opportunity to, for myself to see if I could act. And um, I'm getting some good comments about it. And so it's like a whole new thing career-wise for me to, as much as I love stand-up, I mean, I love doing stand-up comedy. But to be able to act is a big thing for me. So that would 
that gives me butterflies. It gives me butterflies before I'm shooting a scene, wondering if I'm going to be able to pull it off. Um, and I have a wonderful woman in my life, and she gives me butterflies. That's important. I can't speak to uh, to the woman in your life, but I've uh, I'm about four or five episodes into Loudermilk. Livingston is great in that show. Obviously, you do a bang up job too, though. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. They they gave my, my character is Muggsy, mm-hmm. and in season one, they really only had one little storyline. I don't say little. They had like one storyline about Muggsy, maybe two. Season two, they gave me a lot more, and then season three. They really laid a lot of stuff on me, a lot of heavy emotional stuff. Uh, in fact, when I read it, when I read it, I was like, I don't know who they think I am. Why do they think I can pull this off? And it was one of those things where I better because I'm a, I'm a piece of a pie in this bigger show I can't fail. I, I have to do a, I have to do as a, a, a good enough job to pull this off. And uh, I'd like to say, I think I did, but, um, but it was a whole new experience for me. So being able to act <laughs> funny story, they shot each season is 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. So they, they shot it like a movie though. E- each season we shot, all 10 episodes, like kind of at the same time. Hmm. So you don't necessarily shoot everything in the same, in the correct order. You know, they, you might shoot a scene from season from episode four. And then that afternoon you're shooting a scene from episode one. So you have to keep everything in, in your mind of what your character knows or doesn't know at that time. And I, and, and you get the script ahead of time, which they call the Bible. The Bible just means the entire script. I didn't know this term. And I asked Peter Farrelly one time, I said, hey, in this scene, he's the director and co-creator. I said, in this scene coming up, do I already know such and such happened? And he said, well, have you read the Bible? I was like, wow. Um, (laughs) Not in a while. Uh, (laughs) Which part of the Bible should I like reread to know how to handle this next scene? <laughs> and he meant, of course, the Louder Milk Bible. So, what allowed you to ultimately unlock some uh, some emotional places or some vulnerability that you were at least uh, at the start a little bit concerned about in season three? I, I I don't know. There are a lot of people who you mentioned, Rod and Livingston. Yeah, he is an incredible actor. I watched, he's the lead. He plays Loudermilk in the series, Ron Livingston. And I watch him, I watched him every take, every take, even takes that weren't used, even when camera's not on him. Every moment was 100% believable when I watched him. I saw one scene that he did where I thought he was a little off track. Only one and he stopped like after 15 seconds and said, cut, let me get on track. And then the next take, he was right back at 100%. So I only saw one scene. Whereas me, I mean, there, they, they say that there are certain actors who don't take notes. You know, they don't want notes because they feel they're gifted enough where they, 
will decide for themselves. I don't want a director coming up to them. I need notes. Give me notes. <laughs> I need all the help I can get, you know. Um, and some of these moments you have to, for me, the, the only way I could pull it off was like, I, I need this to be me. Mm. You know, I, I, I'm not a good enough actor to be somebody else. I, I need it to be me. So if, if I can get it into my head that what I'm about to say as my character is me in that situation, then it, then it feels real to me. And so that's how I did it. Obviously, you're a little bit more well-versed on the stand-up side of things and acting, serious or otherwise. And Loudermilk is a great example of the dark comedy, by the way, for anybody who's curious to check out more. Uh, you can find it on Netflix. It's uh, one of the top shows as it currently stands, and Brian's role only increases over the course of the three seasons. Do you seek out notes when you're building a new hour, or are you to a point with your stand-up career where you have a pretty good sense of what's going to work and what's not? Obviously, you have to get up on stage and work at least a little bit of it out, but are you seeking those same sorts of notes out with other stand-ups when you're building an hour? Uh, that's a, a good question. Uh, Stand-up-wise, I like it to come from my mind. I like it to come from my mind and my point of view. Um, that doesn't – so I – the vast majority of it is coming from somewhere in there. That doesn't mean that if I do a bit – somewhere that I'm working with a comedian, they might have a tagline or something, or they, they might say, well, how about if you say this, or how about if you say that? Yeah. Uh, and if it fits and it feels like it's consistent with how I think I'm certainly open to that. And so, yeah, I've gotten lines or little moments, little beats here and there that other comedians have suggested to me that I will incorporate if I feel it's, if it is fitting with how I think anyway, if it's a laugh that would work, but it's not how I think I, I wouldn't want to do it. Hmm. All right. Last question. Now, Brian, I'm currently reading uh, Moshe Kasher's new memoir and it's a really great read, entertaining, insightful. And it's based on the premise that there are these six different aspects of the life that he's lived that have really shaped who and what he is as a comedian and as a person as well. Is there any one pivotal moment that comes to mind for you from your life that has been instrumental in who and what you are today? Ooh, uh, there have been a lot of moments in my, uh, in my life. One of the biggest ones for me, career-wise, stand-up comedy-wise, was when I first started auditioning, I had no idea if, if I could do it. You know, like I auditioned one time and... Nobody said anything like it was like there was a comedy club in Fort Lauderdale, the comic strip, and they had an open mic night on Monday nights. So I went and auditioned one time. Nothing happened. I auditioned another time. Nothing happened. After five auditions, this guy, Joe Mullen, he ran the club. I didn't know who he was, came up to me and he's like this short Irish, like no nonsense guy. And he goes, hey, <laughs> can I talk to you in the kitchen? And I'm like, uh, sure. I knew enough that he must have something to do with the club. And I felt like this is positive. And he brought me into the kitchen. He goes, Hey, I've been watching you over the last few weeks. And, uh, I think you got something. And, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you just passed your audition, which was like, <sighs> I get him. I get emotional thinking about it because it was life changing. 
for me, you know. Um, here's a guy who ran a comedy club who was giving me the green light to continue in this path that I didn't know whether I was good enough to do it or not. And so I passed the audition that night. He said I could go on every night from then on after the headliners. It was, that's a whole other story. They, they would throw locals on after the show was over in front of the audience as they were leaving. But that night when he said that I passed my audition, that was in Fort Lauderdale. I was still living with my parents in Miami. I was driving home that night on cloud nine about what had just happened. And I saw a shooting star that I had, I had never seen a shooting star. A shooting star just went right across my windshield. And I went, if this isn't the most magical moment, you know, so, um, so that moment will always live with me. Dude, thank you for sharing. That was uh, that was touching, and uh, to say that you're you're good enough all these years later is obviously the uh, understatement of the the decade or maybe the century. He is Brian Regan. You know who he is. He's going to be here in Austin this Sunday. ACL Live at the Moody Theater. There's still a few tickets remaining. Go to the ACLLive.com now to snag those because they will be completely gone by the time we get to Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. Brian, real pleasure, man. Thank you so much for the time today, and uh, best of luck with the trip through Texas. Thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, you, and thanks for chatting with me. All right, another show is in the books. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. We'll be back tomorrow at 6. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the night, and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.